Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming out. Normally, we dive right into the sermon, but this week, I've got a very important announcement. Normally, our MC handles that, but every now and then, there's one uh, of such importance that I just want to handle it myself, and that is certainly the case today. Uh, Inside your worship guide, there is a save the date, all right? And I know some of you are not going to read the back, so I'm just going to announce it, okay, Uh, myself, so that no one can miss it. On Sunday, November 13th, I'm going to interrupt our series on Matthew for what we're calling Vision Sunday. And on Vision Sunday, I am going to announce some major news and share some very exciting information about the future of our church. So would you please save the date. Whether you attend in person or tune in online, uh, I hope you can be here for that special day. Okay, that's in a couple weeks. Today, we are continuing our current teaching series called Christ the King, where we're studying the wonderful gospel according to Matthew. Our text today is Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. And in these verses, we see the sending of the twelve. The sending of the twelve. Hey, last week I mentioned to you that Kristen and I have five kids. I thought I'd start today by showing you a little picture of these kids, okay? Here they are with their mother a couple weeks ago in Grafton, Vermont, as we as a family looked at the fall foliage uh, on my day off. And what a trip going up that way. It was great. Now, I love these precious piglets as I affectionately refer to them. When I see him, I say, hello, my little piglets. Okay, so anyway, I love them to death. But with that said, from a young age, and you can ask my older kids, okay? From a young age, I have communicated to them over and over and over that our goal as parents is to raise them up and then send them out. Raise them up, send them out. I've told them that mom and I are going to teach you how to be God-fearing, independent adults, and when your training is complete, we are shipping you out into the world where you can be salt and light for Jesus. Now, can they live with us while they go through college? Uh, Of course. If there's another global pandemic followed by unprecedented inflation rates, can they stay with us then temporarily? Yes, of course. If they want to one day start their own business, can they stay with us to save money as they get that business up and running? Guys, of course, there are special circumstances. But apart from those special circumstances, our goal, Kristen and I, it's to raise them up and send them out. In other words, they are not staying at home indefinitely. I don't know if you've seen or heard the movie. Uh, it's called Failure to Launch, uh, but it's the story of 35-year-old Trip, who he's fast approaching uh, 40, and he still lives at home with his parents, Alan and Sue in Baltimore. And his parents, they want him gone, uh, but they can't get him out. And so they hire an expert to help remove him from their home. And I bring that up because basically what I've said to my kids is you will not be Trip, okay? <laughs> That's not going to be you. We're going to raise you up. And we're going to send you out. Now, I bring this up because that's basically what Jesus is telling his disciples in our text today. And this is what I hope you see as we work our way through the text. But first, a little bit of background, a little bit of introduction. Last week, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
And in saying this, Jesus gave his disciples a word picture. And the word picture is this. He's basically saying, I want you to imagine tens of thousands of acres of fields that, that, are, that are just ripe with this big harvest of wheat. And this would have represented a lot of work and it would have required tons and tons of workers. But in Jesus's word picture, the harvest is great, but there's not enough workers to bring in the harvest. And this is this word picture. Now Jesus makes a spiritual parallel. He, he says basically the wheat here, it represents lost people who need to be harvested for God so that they can escape the harvest of judgment that will come at the end of the age. And Jesus points to the reality of a labor shortage. So far, it's only been John the Baptist and Jesus. And at this point, John the Baptist is dead. So what Jesus is communicating to his disciples is that the, the spiritual harvest is great. There's a huge harvest of souls that need to be reaped for God, but there's a labor shortage. So Jesus turns to his disciples and he basically says, I've been training you and preparing you for a reason, for a purpose. And now is the time for you to get involved in helping with the enormous harvest. To prepare them spiritually, Jesus says this. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus knew that if they would just begin praying, number one, they would get God's perspective, seeing people as God himself sees them. Jesus knew that if they began praying, they would begin having godly compassion for lost people, and they would be burdened with a desire to help them. And Jesus knew if they would only begin praying for the people, they would begin seeing themselves as part of the solution to the problem. So Jesus spiritually prepared them through prayer. And it's important to note that by this time that Jesus says, start praying about the problem. By this point, the disciples had been with Jesus for approximately 18 months. They had heard everything Jesus taught. They had seen everything Jesus had done. And now they had the spiritual preparation of their heart through prayer. And they had the practical ministry preparation by apprenticing with Jesus for a year and a half time. And now Jesus basically says, hey, I've raised you up. Now is the time for me to send you out. And that's what we're seeing in our text today. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to walk you through our text. I'm going to explain it as best I can. I'm going to break it up into little sections so that we can appreciate each and every part. And once we've worked our way through the text, we're going to turn our attention on what it has to do with our lives today. But let's begin with an exposition of the text. If you're taking notes, the first thing we learn about the disciples relates to their power, their power. And we see this in verse 1. Matthew writes, And he, Jesus, called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, friends, authority simply means power. And we recently finished a mini-series within Matthew's gospel on the subject of Jesus' great power. And in that series, we learned that Jesus had power over demons and power over disease and power over nature and power over death and power over sin. And what we see here 
is Jesus transferring some of his power to his disciples. He is going to give them the power or the authority to cast out demons and to heal various diseases. Now, Jesus gave this power to his disciples for a very specific reason. And we're going to learn what that reason is when we come to verses 7 and 8. So hang with me and we'll get to the purpose for the power. But right now, all I want to point out is this. Jesus uh, gave them power as they would go out to labor in God's harvest fields. And now that you've seen their power, let's note the second thing we see, which is their person. And we see this in verses 2 to 4. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. Now, it's important to note this. In verse 1, Jesus calls these 12 men his disciples. But now, in verse 2, he calls these same 12 men his apostles. Now, friends, disciple means learner, and apostle means sent one. So what we learn from this is that Jesus called these men to himself to be his learners, to be his disciples for a specific purpose. He called them to himself as disciples so that one day they could be properly trained to be his sent ones. And again, in our passage, we see Jesus finally sending out those who have been trained as disciples. Jesus' goal, like my goal with my kids, was to train him up and send him out. And here we see the list of those whom he sent. Now, this list of 12, it actually appears four different times in the Bible. We see it in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, as well as in the book of Acts. And each time, there's three groups of four with the same four people listed in each group. Now, they're listed this way because the first group includes those Jesus called first. The second group includes those he called next. And then the third group, those he called last. Now, depending on which book of the Bible you're in, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or Acts, you see these names listed in different orders with one notable exception. Uh, for the first group of four, Peter is always mentioned first. For the second group of four, Philip is always mentioned first. And for the third group of four, James is always mentioned first. And this suggests to us that each group of four had its own leader. All right, the last thing I want to point out to you is this. Scripture gives us the most information about the first group of four. It gives us much less information about the second group of four, and it gives us hardly any information about the third group of four, save that it always mentions how Judas Iscariot is the one who betrayed Jesus. So now you've seen their person. And now that you've seen that, let's thirdly note their province their province. And here I'm referring to the geographical location that Jesus sent these 12 men uh, to minister in. And we note this in verses 5 and 6. These 12, 
Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, in saying this, Jesus was basically telling them, I want you to minister in Galilee. Let me show you. Take a look at the map. Jesus was in Capernaum, up there in Galilee. And giving his instructions, he says to them, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. That is, he said, don't go to the harvest fields in the west or in the north to minister to the Gentile Syrophoenicians who live there. And don't go to the harvest fields in the east, in the region of the Decapolis, where more Gentiles lived. And don't go to the harvest fields in the south, where the Samaritans live, who were half Jew and half Gentile. No, Jesus says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. So friends, if they can't go west, if they can't go north, if they can't go east, if they can't go south, and Jesus is giving this instruction to them in Capernaum. He's clearly telling them, the province I want you to minister in, the region I want you to minister in, is the region of Galilee. So friends, that's their province. Okay, fourthly, the fourth thing I want you to notice is this, their proclamation. Their proclamation. As they traveled throughout Galilee, visiting the various villages and cities, the difference being cities had a wall around them, villages did not. But as they went around, Jesus sent them to proclaim a very specific message. They weren't just to travel around doing whatever they wanted. They were on mission from Jesus. And they had a specific message to share as they went. And we see this message in Matthew 10, verse 7. Jesus instructed them, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, from as you go, we learn that they weren't to set up shop and stay there permanently. They were to keep moving from town to town, uh, from city to city, from village to village. And as they moved along, they were to proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what you need to understand is this, God had promised the Jews that one day he would send a savior into the world to deliver them from the penalty for sin. And God told them that this savior would also be a great and powerful king. That's what we learned from 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. The Savior would also be king who would one day rule over an eternal kingdom. So when they went from uh, village to village and from city to city, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the way people would have received that uh, would be this. They would have understood the apostles to be saying, the Savior king that God has promised and that we've been waiting for for so many years. He has finally arrived. So through faith in him, you can be saved from your sins because he is Savior. And if you do that, he will grant you citizenship in the kingdom that he will rule over forever as king. So friends, this was their proclamation. And it was a proclamation that would have been difficult for the people to believe. And that's why we have Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus instructed them, as you proclaim this message, so that people will actually believe it when you share it, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And friends, here we learn why Jesus gave them their power that we learned about in verse 1. 
It wasn't given just because. It was given for a very specific purpose, which we learn here. They were given this power to confirm the veracity of their message, to prove to everyone that what they were saying was true. The kingdom of heaven truly was at hand. The Savior King that God promised to send into the world, he had finally arrived. Now, I do want to say this. I believe that these powers that were given to the apostles were given specifically to them and are not something that's given to all disciples of Jesus for all time. And I simply say that because uh, Jesus said, here, uh, hey, when you go wrong, prove that your message is true by raising the dead. By a show of hands, how many of you have proved the gospel message is true by raising the dead? Yeah, there was none in first service. There was none in second, and there's none here. Now, I'm always tickled when people get upset when I say this was power that was given to them and really only to them because the very people who say, no, it wasn't, it was given to all of us, I always respond, well, how many people have you raised from the dead? How many lepers have you cleansed? And it's always a big fat goose egg, okay? So again, I just want to point out, I believe that these were powers that were given specifically to the apostles, and this is not a promise given to every uh, single believer. If it was, we'd all be raising people from the dead, but again, by the show of hands, uh, none of us are are doing that. And that's okay, because this was something given uniquely to them. Now, Jesus knew that when people realized the apostles had this power, they would try to purchase it. Oh, Peter, don't help him. Come help my son who's at home. And let me give you this money to ignore that guy and come help me with my needs. No doubt this had happened to Jesus himself. So Jesus told them this in the latter part of verse 8. He says, you received without paying, so give without pay. That is, don't charge for your services. The power they received was given to them by God, and they were to use it only to confirm the message they were proclaiming. They were not to use it for personal gain. So as they proclaimed their message, they weren't to try to financially benefit from it. So that was their proclamation and the parameters given to them by Jesus to use as they went about proclaiming the message Jesus gave them to proclaim. So that's their proclamation. All right, fifthly, let's note their provision. Their provision. They were being sent out, and a practical concern that they had was, Jesus, when we go out, I mean, we'll do it. You're commanding it. You're our leader. We'll obey. But when we go out, where are we going to sleep? How are we going to eat? This is the concern of many men, all right? (laughs) How are we going to eat? You know, this is very important. And I would say in the order of importance, how are we going to eat? And then where are we going to sleep, okay? Um, That's just how it is for most men. But anyway, they want to know how they're going to be provided for. And so Jesus speaks to this in verses 9 through 11. Jesus tells them this, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Friends, in a nutshell, Jesus is telling them, travel light. You don't need to store up a bunch of money before you leave. You don't need to pack a bunch of supplies um, in in your suitcase. Uh, Don't do that because all your needs will be met by the people you minister to. And friends, that makes sense, right? Jesus said, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. 
How many of you know that if a mother, like, uh, remember Jairus had a daughter that Jesus recently healed uh, by, by raising her from the dead? She had that sickness and she died and Jesus raised her to life. How many of you know that a mother whose child was raised from the dead would be more than happy to put the disciples up for the night and feed them breakfast in the morning? You get that, right? So Jesus says, don't worry about bringing all this stuff. It's not going to be needed. When you cleanse that guy of his leprosy, he's going to give you lunch. You're going to be okay. So don't bring all kinds of supplies with you. Now, when Jesus says this in verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. This means find someone who appreciates your ministry and is happy to house you and feed you. And I want you to understand that this would not have been an imposition uh, for the many people throughout the region of Galilee who were poor. Because according to Mark's gospel, Jesus sent his uh, apostles out two by two. So no one family would have the financial burden of providing a meal and housing for all 12 disciples at once. They went out two by two. So this was something that they could handle. And Jesus says this as well. When someone puts you up, stay there until you depart. In other words, as you go around healing people's uh, sickness and disease and, and raising the dead, uh, some of those people that you minister to, they are going to be wealthy. And when they learn where you're staying, they're going to say, hey, 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 let me give you the upgrade. And Jesus says, do not take the upgrade. And the inference here is that people will get confused what you're all about if you just go around taking the upgrades. You're there for ministry, so be content with whatever lodging uh, someone gives you as they graciously open their home to you. Do not take the upgrades. It'll confuse people, and it'll hinder your message. So that is their provision. The people would take care of it for the uh, laborer is, let me just quote it here, uh, the laborer deserves his food. Okay, now that you've seen their provision, the last thing I want to point out before we make practical application is this. The last thing to know is their prospects, meaning uh, their chances for success. That's the last thing that Jesus speaks about um, in our uh, pericope today. Jesus wants his apostles to have a clear mental picture of how people will respond to their ministry. If they think it's all going to be a bed of roses and that everyone they speak to will happily receive them and, and happily accept the message that they're there to share about the Savior King who's come, who they should submit their lives to, if they think it's all going to be a bed of roses, a bowl of peaches and cream, Jesus basically lets them know, you've got another thing coming. And so Jesus speaks to that in verses 12 to 15. Jesus says this, as you enter the house, greet it, meaning greet the people in the house. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Friends, the uh, primary thing Jesus is saying here is that not everyone will gladly receive you or the message I'm sending you to proclaim. Now, now when Jesus says, uh, greet the house again, he's talking about giving the uh, inhabitants of that house the traditional Jewish greeting, which was shalom. 
So he says, when you go door to door ministering and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, greet each resident of the home with shalom, which is really a, a wish for well-being and peace to be upon the person that you're greeting. And Jesus says, not everyone's going to reply with a similarly polite greeting, shalom, back to you. Come on in my house. Some people are going to slam the door right in their face, and they're not going to be welcomed in. And Jesus just wants them to know that this is going to happen at times so that they're not disillusioned when it does happen. So Jesus here again speaks to expectations concerning their chances for success or their prospects. All right, so that's the passage, and let me just kind of bring it all together. Let me summarize it for you. To recap, Jesus is trying to reach the entire nation of Israel, but at the moment, he's specifically ministering in the region of Galilee, which was in the northern part of the nation of Israel. But the work is too great for any one man to accomplish on his own, even if that one man is the son of man. So having trained his disciples for 18 months and having spiritually prepared their hearts by commanding them to pray about the harvest being reached for God, Jesus now says, you are ready. I have raised you up and now I am sending you out. Now, friends, what I want you to understand today is that what Jesus did with his disciples is exactly what he wants to do with you and with me. So now we're getting to what does this passage have to do with us? Friends, it's not enough to just go, oh, that was nice. Jesus sent people out. That's great. That's interesting. Okay, let's go home. No, no, no. We have to say, what does this have to do with you? What does this have to do with me? And friends, the message to us is this. Jesus wants to send us out. It's not just them. It's every disciple of Jesus. His plan is my plan for my kids. Train them up, send them out. And that's Jesus' plan for every single one of his disciples. Now, the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. So let me just uh, heap some praise on you guys. I hear story after story after story literally every single week about how you all are working as laborers in the harvest field, working to point people to Jesus and working to bring people to God. And what a joy as a pastor to get to lead a church like this. Just recently, I heard of a grandfather who started bringing his grandkids to church. And just a few weeks back, maybe a month or so ago now, uh, one of those grandkids gave their heart to Jesus. Just a few weeks ago, I heard of a parent on a soccer team who invited another parent on the team to our church. And they came and they got saved. And now that person's attending and their spouse is attending and they're serving Jesus. Just recently, I heard of an atheist being invited to our church. Some of the members of our church were at a town hall meeting right here in Enfield, and they learned of this uh, atheist woman and got chatting, and they invited her to church. She came, she checked it out, she liked it, she got saved, she now attends. And if time permitted, I could go on 
and on and on with stories like this because this is a church who understands that Jesus' calling for every single one of his disciples is that they are sent ones. They don't stop at being disciples, learners. They move from disciple to apostle in the sense that they too understand that they, just like Jesus' disciples, are also called to be sent out into the harvest fields to reap a harvest of souls for God. And I'm so proud of you guys for that. But as I was preparing this sermon, I felt like a check in my spirit that I can't just mention the positive. I do have to go ahead and point out the reality that though this is the case for so many at our church, the reality is this is not the case for all. So because I'm your pastor, because I love you, because I'm called by God to say, here's the straight and narrow path. And if you're over here, you got to get back in line because that's my job. Let me say this. Not everyone has this same mentality that we as disciples, we are trained up so that we can be sent out. But friends, I want to get us all on that page today. Every single one of us. Why? Because as we learned last week, the harvest is great and the laborers are few. I doubt many of you have heard of NASA's new mission to the moon, but it's called the Artemis One Moon Mission. And they are trying to send the Orion spacecraft around the moon and back to Earth. But you know what they keep doing? They keep pushing the mission off. They just keep rescheduling the launch. I think the next time they're going to try, from what I read, is November 14th. But if past performance is any indicator of future performance, they'll just delay the mission again. And again, and again, and again. Any perceptive people see where I'm going with this? Friends, don't keep pushing the mission off. What a privilege that we get to use our lives to point others to Jesus. Jesus could have done it himself. He could have said, I'm just going to have the angels do this job. He, he gives us the privilege of getting to be a part of that. And so friends, we come to church here. We learn the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and it's all for a purpose. We're trained up so that we can be sent out. You come to church on Sunday for training, and then you're sent throughout the week into the harvest fields to work as laborers to reap a harvest of souls for God. Now, we don't do this in our own strength and in our own power. We just wake up and we pray, God, use me today to point someone to Jesus. And God, I'm not trusting in my own wisdom. I'm not trusting in how smart I am. I'm not trusting that I'll have super persuasive, fancy arguments. I'm just gonna be so bold as to speak the truth and I'm gonna trust you, God, with the results. And friends, you just watch how God will use you to bring in the harvest. Lots of people today wrestle with God's will for their lives. Well, today I want to make it real simple for you. Wouldn't you like to know God's will? Anybody want to know God's will? Yeah, want to know God's will? I get that question, probably the number one question I get as a pastor. I want to understand God's will for my life. Let me share it with you. Here it is. God wants to save you, train you, send you. So many people are wanting more revelation concerning God's specific will for their lives, but they don't get it because they're ignoring what God has revealed concerning what his will is. He wants to save you, train you, send you. Get in line with that and you watch how God gives you further revelation about his will for your life. 
We have to be obedient with what we've been given before God gives us more. And he wants to save us, train us, send us. As one commentator I read put it, not every believer is called to be a preacher, teacher, pastor, or missionary, but every believer is called to be Christ's witness to the world. Jesus Christ has no followers who are not under his order in the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. So friends, there's a huge harvest beyond the walls of this church building, and the laborers are few. There's a small percentage of Christians to start, and then a smaller percentage still who actually share their faith. And the answer to this problem is twofold. Number one, like we learned last week, we need to pray. But having spiritually prepared our hearts through prayer, now we got to get to work. As missionaries in the harvest fields of our family, our neighborhood, and our workplace. Friends, do not make this mistake. Don't make the mistake of leaving the work to someone else. Because God has put you where he's put you as a worker in that particular harvest field. And he expects you to reap a harvest of souls for him right where you are. Now, as we learned from what Jesus taught his apostles, when we do the work of being sent out and laboring in the harvest field, not everyone's going to warmly receive us. But we continue to labor nonetheless for this reason. Some will. Yeah, some won't, but guess what? The opposite's also true. Some will. And that's why we keep sharing. Week in and week out, and we don't give up. Because some will accept the message. Now, friends, you can work in the harvest fields of the world, your family, your neighborhood, your workplace. But I want to invite you to also work in the harvest field called New Day Church, because you know what? Every single Sunday, people accept Jesus as Lord and Savior here at our church. As Jack mentioned this morning, over 120 people so far this year. So as you can see on average, hey, every single week, people are coming to faith in Jesus. And friends, that's why we're always inviting you to come serve on our dream team, because someone serves in parking, and someone serves in kids' church, and someone serves at host team, and someone serves at guest services, and someone serves refreshments, and, and then other people serve on the worship team, and then others serve on the production team, and, and we just like work all together. But the result of it all every week is that people come to faith in Jesus. So be a part of working in the harvest fields outside of Sunday, but I want to personally invite every single one of you, even those of you serving online, we have serving opportunities for you. I want everyone to, to serve because we learn in the Bible that when the pastors and the people work together, we see people come to the faith. Jack Duga is our connect pastor here at New Day. And if you're ever interested in serving, just swing by guest services and uh, Jack or one of his team members will help you to get connected. His job, like all throughout the week, is to meet with people and talk with them about different serving opportunities. So why not make a meeting? You have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain. And you can be a part of leading people to Jesus week in and week out by partnering with us, by serving on our dream team here at our church. One last time. God wants to save you, train you, and say it out loud, number three, send you. Disciple means learner. Apostle means sent one. And the whole reason for our discipleship, for our learning, is that we might become sent ones to be salt and light for Jesus in this world.
So remember Tripp, who was fast approaching 40 and was still living in his parents' basement? Friends, do not live forever in your heavenly father's basement playing video games. There's a great harvest. The workers are few. And Jesus has called us, me and you, to get to work laboring in God's harvest fields. And if you're ready to do that, I want to invite you to join me in our closing prayer today. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And maybe you'd say this in your heart to God. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for making your will so plain. And now that I know your will, that you want to save me and train me and send me, I just want to let you know that I'm going to get in line with your will for my life. God, I repent of uh, any times where I'm not in line with your will for my life and where I've been a perpetual learner, just learning, 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 never realizing that it's for the purpose of being sent out to labor in your harvest fields. But God, today I recognize the harvest is great, the laborers are few, and I want you to know today you have one more laborer who will work in your harvest fields. God, I pray that you would help me and that you would use me to bring a large harvest of souls for you. I cannot do it in my own strength. I cannot do it in my own power. But with God, all things are possible. Use me this week, I pray. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. We would love to connect with you even more, so be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.